Well, good morning, Hope. You guys sit over here and you don't have the sun in your eyes as much, but my eyes are going to be drawn to you guys because then the sun isn't in my eyes as much. So y'all got shades. That helps. It's good stuff. Well, hey, this uh, week, we mentioned this week is Ash Wednesday, uh, which is, again, the first day of the season of Lent, the 40 days plus Sundays that lead up to Good Friday and Easter, where we remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a time where we prepare our hearts for Good Friday and Easter. And again, jump in online Wednesday. There'll be a a, a 30-minute service. Just take some time from your day to jump in with us on that. But uh, now people that have heard of Lent primarily think of giving stuff up for Lent. Am I right? Because it's often it's one of the first things that comes to our minds. Um, so I got a couple of giving stuff up for Lent moments right here. Or how about this one? I'm giving up negativity for Lent. <laughs> yeah, that'll last a long time. <laughs> Some of you got it. Some of you will figure that out later. How about this one? I gave up cleaning the dryer filter for Lent. Where's the drum rim shot, Jeff? Come on, man. I should have told you, right? But how about you turn to somebody that's close by and, and just, uh, and if you're online, maybe in the chat room, what are some things that you've heard of that people give up for Lent? So it could be something common, it could be something unusual. Just take a couple minutes amongst yourself. What are some things that people tend to give up for Lent? All right, give me a couple. Yell some out here. Caffeine. Caffeine. Chocolate. Social media. I can't hear it through the... Social media. Social media. That's a great idea. So you must be the one I don't want to give up because I refuse to hear it. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Really good. What else? Diet Dr. Pepper. Diet Dr. Pepper. We have a very specific addiction here. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Meat. Some people give up meat. Some people give up meat. Some of you are refusing to say that thing because your friend or spouse or somebody next to you is going to go, so you're doing that, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, I gotcha. I understand because it's hard, right? I have failed at this giving stuff up for Lent thing over and over and over. I've tried to give up carbs one year. <laughs> that didn't work so good. Um, I used to be a very heavy, heavy soda drinker, especially Mountain Dew. So I tried to give up Mountain Dew. And my, uh, my administrative assistant decided to really up the temptation level and stack bottles of Mountain Dew all around my office for the whole season of Lent. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't make it that year for sure. But oftentimes what happens is we get in kind of this main mindset of giving stuff up uh, for Lent and then we forget why we're actually doing this. And when we forget why we would actually do this, those of you who would choose to do something like that, Lent then just becomes kind of this contest, maybe an exercise in willpower, trying to prove our commitments. But that is not the point of Lent. The point of giving something up is not to, you know, make yourself miserable for Jesus, right? Like somehow you're proving something. The point of Lent is simply to make room for God in our lives, to make some space. And that thing that we would, you know, give up gives us, it's intended to give us more time or space 
for God to do some work in us. Now, another word that uh, we use for giving something up is this, uh, fasting. Fasting. We don't say that word as much anymore, but historically, one of the big parts of Lent is fasting. And I thought it was interesting that here we are in the middle of this series on the Lord's Prayer where we're, each week we're going line by line. But in, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, as soon as you finish the Lord's Prayer, it's your kingdom, your power, your glory forever and ever. Amen. The next verse is this. Ready? Verse 16 of Matthew 6. It's in your notes if you have them. But when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, which is like saying, you know, wash your face, brush your teeth, right? Wash your face, 18 says, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And again, those are the words of Jesus, and he talks about fasting, and we today kind of go, what a weird idea, right? Why would anybody want to do that? Why would you be hungry, especially in America, and not eat right away? Why would you have an appetite and not immediately fulfill it? Who would ever absolutely and deliberately deny themselves something? Like, isn't the road to satisfaction and, and fulfillment, isn't it, you know, by taking away to to fill every craving that we might have as soon as you can with the shortest delay possible. Isn't that kind of how we operate in the US, right? Um, parents, you know how this works, right? If, if you're a parent, isn't the number one rule of parenting, ready for this? Make sure your kid always gets whatever they want the moment they want it, right? Parents, right? All the kids are like, yeah. Let Doug teach the parenting class, yeah. Nope. Or, or if you're looking for a potential spouse or maybe to hire an employee, isn't the number one quality we look for is somebody that demands the immediate gratification of their every desire, right? Isn't that? Some? No? No? Some are you're not sure. I know that conflicts with some of our, you know, evidence values, but, but that's probably not a good idea. But when we think about how our culture operates, fasting is kind of weird, right? So let me just say this right up front. I'm not gonna to try to talk anybody into giving it a shot. You are not gonna to wanna to do it. And I know, I know. Like we think it's a strange ancient practice that has no place in our enlightened modern world. I mean, fasting, right? It's probably just done by these little emaciated monks in loose robes who just enjoy being miserable. But, but since Lent begins this Wednesday, and because Jesus did cover it right there in the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Lord's Prayer that we're in right now, and it makes sense to kind of skip to that before we go back, I figured we have to talk about it, and this week would be a good week for it. So, by the way, um, in the Bible, it's not just Jesus that talks about fasting. It's all over the Bible. In fact, it's kind of like a, a hall of fame of Bible characters throughout Scripture who talked about or fasted. And here's just a handful of them. Uh, Moses, he fasted. So did King David, Ezra the priest, the prophets like Zechariah, Jeremiah, Amos, and Elijah. Uh, the prophet Isaiah called for a great fast in Isaiah 58 that would be connected to social justice and care for the hungry and the poor. Uh, there's the story of Esther when she had to risk her life 
by protesting to her husband, who was the king of Persia, but could immediately have killed her for any kind of request. She had to risk her life to make this request. So first she spent three days with her friends, three days of prayer and fasting, and she called on every Jewish person to do the same. Uh, skip ahead to the New Testament. There's a, an older woman that we meet early in the story of Jesus while he's still a baby. Her name is Anna, and she was actually prepared to recognize when the Messiah came, she was prepared for it by a lifetime of prayer and fasting so that when the baby Jesus showed up in the temple, she knew, and it said she had prepared her life by fasting and regularly praying. Um, who else? John the Baptist fasted. Uh, Jesus himself fasted. His ministry started out with 40 days of fasting and prayer in the desert. And if we read through the New Testament, we see several occasions where the early church and the apostles, especially the Apostle Paul, fasted. So that's just the stuff right in the Bible. And I know, I know, this is the 21st century. You don't need to fast. I just got to tell you what's in the Bible, right? I mean, I don't want any of you to be able to, able to one day say, well, I, I've never heard a, a sermon on fasting. So, so as of today, there you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. I can see you're very excited about this, yes. A um, couple other things about fasting in the Bible. Um, it's associated sometimes with uh, repentance from sin. Sometimes fasting is associated with breakthroughs in prayer. Sometimes uh, fasting is associated with accompanying requests for God to give guidance. Uh, fasting, it's just, it's all over the Bible. So again, I know, I know, you don't need to do this. So the pressure's off here. But just out of curiosity, uh, why was fasting such a big deal in the ancient world? Because it wasn't just in the Bible. Um, uh, people like Confucius practice uh, fasting uh, in ancient Greece. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they all fasted. Um, and the reason that it was considered by not just scripture, but other cultures and, and even religions, is that fasting was considered a helpful practice for human flourishing. Fasting is considered a helpful practice for human flourishing. John Ortberg says, in the Bible, and then especially with Jesus, fasting becomes a way to experience and depend on the reality of the kingdom, the presence, and the power of God in ways that we could actually then see happening. So while we today rarely talk about fasting, I do think that it's interesting that Jesus seems to just assume that we will fast. If you look at that Matthew 6 scripture that I put on your handouts there, um, verse 16, Jesus says it this way again, and when you fast, he doesn't say if <laughs> or, or anything like that. He says, when you fast, don't be all miserable like the religious people that he's critiquing. And then in the next verse it says, but when you fast, so he says it twice, and this time he says, don't make a big deal about it to everybody around you. And I look at that and go, not if you fast, but when you fast, said Jesus. Now I know it's a shock to you guys because you look at my incredible physique and, and how well, good shape I'm in here. You know that I must fast all the time, but we'll just confessional right here. I have gotten out of the practice of fasting, but it is Lent and it is a chance to begin again. So. Let me just answer, answer this simple, simple kind of question for those of you that might be newer to this. What is fasting? What is this thing that Jesus assumed we would do? What is fasting? And this again, it's in your notes. Fasting is simply the practice of abstaining from food, 
possibly drank or possibly other things for a period of time. And it's a time period that you get to determine. Um, you know, with food, it actually has to, a fast actually has to be long enough to feel a little bit of hunger, okay? So like the time between breakfast and lunch, that does not count as a fast, okay? I know, I'm disappointed about that too. And, and let me just say something that maybe some of you are thinking when the word fasting comes up, because this is true of me, I love food. I love food. I love chocolate and spaghetti and, and hamburgers and cupcakes and sorbet. I love I love peanut butter, I love pizza, I love baby back ribs, I love freshly baked oh, bread, I'm starting to get hungry. I love Krispy Kreme, Panda Express, and Kane's, Kane's Chicken. I love Orville Redenbacher, Betty Crocker, Colonel Sanders, Chef Boyardee, and the Pillsbury Doughboy. Those are some of my heroes. Can I get an amen? Yes. So listen, fasting doesn't mean that it's wrong to love food. Food is good. Food is God's idea. And aren't you glad that God made eating enjoyable? Yeah? Right? Like he could have made it that there was just this goop that we drank that somehow would give us the nutrition that we need, that we could survive on. But he didn't do that. He made food enjoyable. So then why on earth would we fast? And this is in your notes. Because fasting, fasting is a little practice that God gives you that can help you be in charge of your body instead of the other way around. Now listen, food, again, it's really good. But with just about anything that's good, we have the ability as human beings to overdo it, to make something, anything that's good into our source, our comfort, or our escape. Like, we humans find great ways to misuse food. We find great ways to misuse alcohol, to misuse sex, to misuse money. We are relentlessly creative in taking the good things and misusing them. And I'm, I'm example number one on that, right? And, and here's an example. This one's even more ridiculous because it's about coffee, and I don't like coffee really, okay? And for most of my life, I know, I didn't get any booze, did I? All you coffee drinkers? Yeah? No? All right, that's good. But I might come under judgment from you there. But I, I have, for most of my life, not been a coffee drinker. But twice in my life, when I've been under a lot of stress or pressure or time crunches, twice in my life, including, by the way, right now, um, I started drinking coffee just for the caffeine boost. Not because I like the taste, just the caffeine boost. Um, but the problem is, now it's a daily habit, and it seems like I have to have it. I think they call that an addiction. Is that qualified? Yeah, right? Amen. <laughs> um, in fact, it was kind of funny. This morning I came in pretty early, and I thought I had left a can of coffee here at, at church in the fridge, and I was going to drink my iced coffee and just, you know, have my caffeine boost, and it was gone. And I noticed when it wasn't there, when it was gone, that I was like, ooh, something rose up in me, right? So I think they call this an addiction. Uh, because instead of me being in charge of my body, Coffee is becoming in charge of my body. Now this whole coffee thing reminds me of an experiment that these researchers did a few decades ago. They were looking at our impulses as human beings and our, and our ability or inability to delay gratification. And some of you know about this test. It's kind of a famous one. It's known as the marshmallow test. Have you heard of the marshmallow test, anyone? 
the marshmallow test. This is decades ago. And this researcher would come in the room, there'd be a young child sitting at a table, they would put a marshmallow in front of the kid, and then the researcher would say to the child, I'm gonna leave the room for a few minutes, and if you wait and you don't eat the marshmallow until I come back, you're gonna get two marshmallows. Right, got it? You can eat this one now, but if you wait, then you'll have two. And then they'd leave the room, and the hidden camera footage was just awesome of all the stuff the kids were doing. And we were gonna show you snippets of that video, except then we realized, oh no, we're gonna be outside. So we had to get creative. So, um, so Heidi, will you bring the children out? Will you guys welcome the children here? Oh, some sweet children here. Some of my favorite children right here. Hey buddy, what's up? You need a hand over there? I'll pull this over for you. Does that work? Ooh, you saddled up. Nice job, Ezekiel. Nice job, buddy. All right, so now the teacher, Heidi here, the researcher, she is gonna talk to them. She's gonna tell them what she's gonna do. So here, I'll, I'll pull the mic down. All right, are you ready for this challenge, Zeke? All right, I'm gonna give you one marshmallow, and you can eat it now if you want, but if you wait, I'll give you two. All right, is that, are you, you got that? All right, okay. All right. Yeah, we got a child here. In this bag is a marshmallow. You can eat it now, if you wait, you'll get two. There's Jim. Now, there's a marshmallow in that bag for you. If you eat it now, or you can eat it now, but if you wait, you'll get another one. You'll get two. Yeah, when I come back, because I'm going to go away for a little bit. Got it? Is that clear? All right. All right, and then the researcher would go into the other room, and they did these, you know, one by one. This is just our best reenactment here. And do, 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 do. isn't it? All right, let's fast forward five minutes here and uh, have the researcher come out five minutes later. Come on. Welcome back, researcher. but he waited.
There's the marshmallows. Five second rule. Five second rule right there. Right there. Oh man, we're causing trouble over here. Hey, thanks Zeke. Look at that. Look, Zeke was the guy right there. Zeke was the guy that made it. Good job. All right, that's our best reenactment since we didn't have video of the marshmallow test. Go watch it on YouTube. It's actually very cute, very funny. Hey, thanks you guys for being good sports to improv that. All right, so here's the idea here. The marshmallow, right? It stands for something, and I, I don't know in your life what your marshmallow is. Um, maybe it's pride. Maybe your marshmallow is a wrong relationship. Um, maybe it's gossip. Maybe your marshmallow is, is money. Maybe your marshmallow is being judgmental or indulging resentments. And see, what that marshmallow, that thing that's hard for us to resist, is it whispers to us, um, you're entitled. You're entitled. You've been working so hard. You've already resisted so much. Your spouse doesn't understand you. You're, you're entitled to be happy. And what you want, it's not that bad. And what you want to feel will feel so good. See, that's, that's how the marshmallow works. And in that marshmallow study with those kids there, um, they were learning to do a little tiny five-minute fast. Now, what's remarkable about that study, because it was done decades ago, is they did some follow-up. And when they did the follow-up from these children who had been, I think, age five when they did the test, the researchers checked back decades later. And the children who, at the age of five, were able to say no to the marshmallow actually grew up to have healthier bodies. They did better in school. They were more successful in work. They had more stable relationships. They had fewer problems with substance abuse because they had learned to delay gratification from a young age. They learned to delay gratification. And this is for us now where fasting comes in. See, fasting helps us see that we can delay gratification. We don't have to give in to every impulse. We don't have to gratify right away every little hunger that we have. So again, fasting, in your notes there, Fasting is a little practice that God gives you that can help you be in charge of your body instead of the other way around. Now listen, if you're somebody who doesn't ever struggle with impulse control, if all of your desires have learned to politely and quietly wait their turn, uh, if all your appetites for food, sex, money, pleasure, power consistently say, no, 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 don't gratify us when it might conflict with the greater value, right? If that's you, then you don't need to fast, so don't worry about it, right? Don't worry about it. And let me say something, just kind of a side note here. Um, our youth pastor, Will Hopkins, his wife, Christy, and I, we all worked at a, uh, an eating disorder um, uh, treatment center years ago. And so we're keenly aware that for some people that struggle with eating disorders, um, if that's your struggle, then this is not uh, what we're talking about for you. Uh, if that's your struggle, um, probably listening to this message might even be a little painful for you. And so I just want to say that if it's you that struggles with that, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're with us. Uh, hope is a place where nobody is perfect, and we are all a mess without Jesus. And we know that Jesus wants to flood each of our lives 
with, um, with mercy and flood our bodies with healing and grace. But if eating disorders are a part of your struggle, then fasting for food, for you, it's just not helpful. So, so just let that whole fasting thing go, okay? Um, or also, if you are somebody that, that have medical reasons that fasting would be unhelpful or even dangerous, then don't fast. Do not do it. Uh, by all means, don't feel guilty about the topic. Just let that go. See, for all of us, as followers of Jesus, what we do is we trust in the grace of God to grow and shape us. Our goal as followers of Jesus is not to see how many spiritual disciplines that we can get good at. Uh, you, are, you are already loved and accepted by God. You have nothing to prove and you cannot earn it. Spiritual disciplines or practices, these are not ways to earn or prove anything. And from a place of knowing, that there is nothing that you could do to make God love you more, and there's nothing that you could do to make God love you less. From that place, when we talk about spiritual practices like, like fasting, um, these become invitations to simply make room for God to bring you more and more freedom. It's not to earn his favor. Uh, it's not to try to twist his arm. Um, fasting is simply a way to create space to give your attention to God so that he can bring you more freedom. So there's a big delineation there, um, and I wanted to make sure that we mention that. Um, but for all of us that, uh, like me, some of us, I should say, for some of us like me whose bodies are particularly stubborn about having their own way, in one way or another, fasting can be a helpful practice. Now, in the extremely unlikely you know, event that anybody here would actually want to try this this fasting deal, I want to give you a quick tip and two possible kind of frameworks to approach a fast. Um, and maybe it's something you'd want to try during Lent or maybe even start trying this week. So here's the quick tip because sometimes people go fasting, wow, that just seems really hard. Uh, start out by maybe fasting a meal. Um, that, that's one way to get started, just fast a meal. Um, and the time frame that I think that is helpful if you're going to fast a whole day is what's called a 24-hour fast. And the best way that I think for doing a 24-hour fast is after dinner on a particular night, after you eat, then you fast the next day for breakfast and lunch, and then you have dinner again. One thing that's good about this kind of fast is I know sometimes when we're a family, we go, you know, everybody else is eating. It just kind of inconveniences them for me to do a fast. Well, this is one way that you're not missing dinner with the family or whoever you're with. Uh, and you can fast and do a 24-hour deal. So there's your kind of quick tip. Um, and then two, two ways to frame your fast. There's many ways to approach a fast, but just some things to keep in mind to focus our attention on. The first one, it's in your notes, is called, often it's called fasting as feasting on God. Fasting as feasting on God. Now when we fast this way or come to a fast with this way that we're feasting on God, we're not just avoiding food. We're not trying to just not eat. We take that time that we would have used for meal prep uh, or for eating and we take that time and we give it to uh, God. We give him space to spend time with us. We spend time with him. That's fasting as feasting. Now in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus makes a real fascinating statement to help us with this whole framework here. Matthew 4 tells us in verse 2, um, this is a great verse, ready? Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry, which just stop for a second. Sometimes I think that's the most 
unnecessary verse in all the Bible, right? After 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah, just so you know, right? Um, but maybe the writer was just trying to let us know that Jesus was a real human being like me and you, and he felt the pain and knew the pain of, of what hunger was like. So verse 3, the tempter, Satan, comes and whispers to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And by the way, I kind of think of this as like, a, Jesus, just eat the marshmallow. You're entitled. You're the Son of God. Take a shortcut. You don't have to suffer. Back to verse 4, Jesus answered, but it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Hmm. And what I think Jesus does here by saying that is that he makes this connection between fasting that he was doing, what we could do, and the nourishment that actually comes to fill us from God. He's saying, guys, listen, you need more than just bread. We need the words of God. And when Jesus fasted, he was making room for God so that when the temptation came to take a shortcut, he didn't waver. Now back to the marshmallow experiment, I think it's really interesting. Uh, the key to the outcome to what the child would choose, and there were way more children than the three we had here, uh, the key was what they called the strategic allocation of attention. The strategic allocation of attention. In other words, um, like Will was the example over here. If you just think about the marshmallow right away, just stare at it, you're probably just going to eat it, right? It's not going to work out, right? Or um, if you think about not eating the delicious marshmallow, you'll either go ahead and eat it or you'll do kind of what Jim did where you'll be miserable trying not to eat it because you're still focused on it, right? Your attention's on the marshmallow, your attention's on the marshmallow, but if you give your attention to something else, like Ezekiel over here, by reading a book, or singing a song, or maybe praying, or doing something else, then you are less likely to give in to that thing. See, fasting as feasting means that whatever I'm fasting from, I take the time that I would have spent doing that thing, um, I take my attention, I take my attention off of the thing I'm not doing, not eating or whatever it is, and instead, I use that time to focus my attention on God to, you know, you could read scripture or pray, uh, maybe journal or listen to worship music, uh, may maybe to listen for what God is speaking to me while I'm out taking a walk. See, when we fast this way, we are allocating our attention to God. And it's an intentional shift from what I'm fasting from, whether it's coffee or food or something else, we shift our attention from that and give God our attention instead. And if I do that by reading scripture, I think of it as feeding and nourishing my soul and spirit through the scripture. And so for you, maybe what you need to think of is what nourishes your soul? What, what, what feeds you? Is it, is it being in nature? Is it taking a nap? Uh, is it listening to beautiful music? Whatever it is, do that. That could be a way of feasting on God, making room for him to let him fill you. See, because when we fast again, we're allowing our body's hunger to remind us that we are not the ultimate source in the world. Somebody else is our source, and that's good news, and that's fasting as feasting on God. All right, that's the first one. Second one, fasting as caring. Fasting as caring. Um, I encourage you this week to read Isaiah chapter 58. It is, it's really good. It's really good stuff. The people 
in Isaiah 58. They're complaining. They're upset. They keep humbling themselves. They are actually fasting. They are praying. They are crying out. But God doesn't seem to notice. And so finally God tells them the problem why he's not paying attention. Verse 3, Isaiah 58, it's in your notes, says, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And just read that chapter sometime this week because the rest of that chapter is such a powerful connection between the, the, the power of fasting when it's practiced rightly, um, which is having a passionate uh, justice focus for the poor, for the hungry, for the oppressed. And it's a beautiful chapter. And in fact, for the last 2,000 years, it has inspired mo movements of social justice for 2,000 years. See, fasting as caring in this way, when it is done unto the Lord, puts our focus on the people that God loves and cares about. Uh, and it's the opposite of this, this, this self-centered preoccupation that I get with, you know, hey, look how spiritual I am, God, right? See, because when I'm hungry, my normal response in my flesh is to think, okay, how can I satisfy my hunger? And by the way, when I use the term the flesh, kind of sounds like a religious cliche and so uh, one guy says that when you come across the term the flesh in the bible maybe think of it like that sesame street character cookie monster cookie monster in the flesh right it's uh see cookie want cookie eat cookie yes right there see the cookie monster is not real big on self-regulation uh, not at all okay um, that's how our flesh works so and the rest of the world kind of caters to that that some of the smartest best brightest people with the most education and technology uh, in our culture spend their entire lives trying to get us to buy stuff and feed those appetites so that we would be gratified and to them that's all we are we're just a bunch of appetites to be gratified that they can sell stuff to we are just one big cookie monster to consume everything that looks good so they try to make it look really good that's just kind of how it seems to work but when we fast with this isaiah 58 stuff in our mindset we learn not to be so obsessed with our own appetites and we find that we experience more freedom see when i do this kind of fast the fasting as caring when my body is hungry i use it as a cue to remind myself that my brothers and sisters are hungry but they have no bread or maybe no money to buy bread and so the temporary and small pain that i feel in my body when i fast can remind me of the ongoing and very large pain in theirs, which is one of the ways that God grows compassion in us when we identify. And sometimes we might remember that we actually have money that we could be generous with and help those who don't have enough. So again, this is fasting as caring. Um, one more thing, we mentioned this at the top of the message, but and maybe maybe somebody here, you're feeling like, you know what, okay, I'll try fasting something for, for Lent. Um, and you might wonder about fasting something other than food. For example, I had, I had a friend who is now my wife. Uh, way back, she prayed about this before she was my wife. She said, God, what could, I, what could I fast from during Lent? And the first thought, the first thought that popped into her mind was, well, how about coffee? And her next thought was, 
No, not coffee. Anything but coffee. That's supposed to be funny. She said I could tell that story. It's really too But that's a pretty common reaction, right? And a gentle question I think we could ask ourselves is, well, maybe God might be calling me to give that thing up because it has a grip on me that it would be good for me to be free of. So when you think of what, what to fast from, maybe it's coffee, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's social media, maybe it's reading or watching the news, maybe it's compulsively checking COVID stats, <laughs> maybe it's whatever the thought is that when it comes to you, you say, no, no, not that. Right? But just ask God to guide you as to what it would be good for you to be free from or to fast from. So, worship team, will you come? Again, remember, this Wednesday, February 17th, it's Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And for centuries, followers of Jesus have marked this Lent 40-day season by practicing fasts of different kinds. And the reason we do that is to identify with that 40-day period that Jesus fasted. And so, whole family, I just wonder what would happen? What would happen if if during this season of Lent, what if our church began to get more free of the clutches of appetite or this insatiable desire for more, this this weakness of our I guess cookie monster flesh? What what if what if we got more compassionate during this Lent season about the hunger, the need, the poverty, the desperate plight of our world? because we engaged intentionally in paying attention to those things. Maybe, maybe what you'll wanna do um, is to fast from food once a week during Lent and use that money that you would have spent on food to deliver other people from hunger. That falls into that fasting is caring realm right there. Or what if in these weeks leading up to Easter, Maybe you just fast a few times, or, or, or up to once a week, um, or some kind of type of fast the whole time of Lent, but, but we spent that time that we would have spent eating, or watching the news, or on social media. Instead, we feasted on God by giving that time to God, and we spent that time instead reading his word, or praying, or caring for someone else. Friends, this is not a demand. There's no pressure. There's no guilt uh, to enter into this. It's just an invitation. It's a question, right? An invitation. Is there a place of fasting during Lent that might help me make room for God to do something in me? Is there a place? And just walk with Jesus on this. And as we sing this song, I just want us to ask Jesus, how do you, Jesus, how do you want me to be free and freer to live more fully in your kingdom. Let's pray as you stand and we get ready to sing.